Welcome to episode 28 of the IU Panthers podcast. I'm your host, Rich Moser. On this week's episode, we visit with former EIU All-American runner Mike Hatfield, who had a long career in athletic administration before retiring and taking on a new role. We catch up with Mike as he talks about how he got into running, his success and memories at EIU, some of the highlights from his long athletic administrative career, and a program he and several other EIU cross-country and track alums put together to support their teammates. If you like this episode of EIU Panthers podcast, then be sure to like and follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Consolidated Communications is proud to sponsor EIU Athletics and EIU Panthers podcasts. Visit Consolidated.com today to learn about the future of broadband for your home and business. That's Consolidated.com. In EIU Athletics news this week, additional Panther sports teams return to action as the men's soccer team and volleyball team are the next EIU teams to return to play as fall teams move their traditional fall seasons to this spring due to COVID-19. In other action, EIU basketball continues at home while the cross-country team will host a home meet. For the latest news, schedules, and updates of what will be a very busy spring season, be sure to follow us online at EIUPanthers.com. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at EIU underscore Panthers. Now to this week's episode of EIU Panthers podcast with former EIU track All-American Mike Hatfield. And welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers podcast. We're joined today by EIU Athletic Hall of Fame member, former cross-country and track All-American Mike Hatfield. Mike, welcome to the program today. Thanks, Rich. I appreciate that. And I, I do appreciate you. I reached out to you here. Um, we, we reach out the start of every month to get some guests, and you were gracious enough to do this kind of at the last minute, so I do appreciate you squeezing us into your schedule. And I, I know you're retired, but you're not really retired, and that'll be one of the things we kind of talk about today. Sure. Well, you got my interest when you said you were sending that stipend to be a guest <laughs> on the show, so the answer was always yes. I, I wish we had stipends to give, or else I... <laughs> But we talk a little bit, I joke with you about being retired. You, you currently work in with, with the Newman Center up there in the Champaign area, but that's mm-hmm. really your second career, I would say. You, you were a longtime athletic administrator. You worked at a, at a couple of different universities. What kind of, I guess, when you retired from athletics, people always ask this, you're not going to be able to walk away. I, I've been doing this a long time. You did it a, a lot longer. Was that kind of what got you interested in, in going to work to the Newman Center or was there just a natural transition? Well, there was a little bit of a natural transition. Uh, you know, the University of Illinois was uh, looking at, uh, they had offered a uh, voluntary separation program for anybody who had been there over four years. And I had a little over uh, 32 years in the system. So that caught my interest. And then at the same time, uh, it's amazing how things work out. The Newman Center was looking for a fundraiser. And so um, we had some conversations there and I ended up getting two days off between retirement and starting the new (laughs) job. So uh, I never did get to clean out the garage and all those things that I was supposed to do. Now you, you talked about there, you done fundraising for, for a long time. You did that for, for a number of years at, at the university of Illinois, but also had some other stops when you graduated Eastern Illinois back in the, in the seventies, and we'll, we'll touch on your career as an athlete, here as we go through the program, what was it that got you interested in 
and getting into athletics? Did you maybe start during the coaching path and found that there was a, you know, another niche for you, or did you kind of always know I wanted to be on the administrative side? No, I was going to uh, go home and help my dad farm and teach shop. Okay. And maybe coach a little bit. And uh, I finished up my career in 1979 and, and Mike Mullally was the athletic director at Eastern at the time. And, and uh, he had asked me to, uh, I'd helped out a little bit, honestly, helping clean up after home basketball games. And, and we got to be friends a little bit and uh, he liked something about me. And then uh, he asked me if there was a, uh, if I would be interested in having a uh, grad assistantship after I graduated in 79. And I was, I was very interested in continuing to train. And uh, my coach, Tom Woodall and Neil Moore were both still there. And so I took them up on it, having no idea what that was. And then about halfway through that year, Mike left and took the job as AD at uh, Cal State Fullerton. So um, when I finished up my, uh, my running career that summer of 80, and then um, I ended up going out and working for him, and we got, we got out there, and, and, and after about a half a year there, Mike left again and went to Boise State. So uh, Boise's beautiful, and it's a wonderful place, but we were expecting our first child. And, um, you know, when you're living in Orange County, Cal State Fullerton, everybody wants to come and visit you because it's Disneyland and the, yep. and the beach and all those fun things. And Boise probably wasn't as attractive to us at the time. So I moved back uh, to Illinois, I moved back to Hoopston, my hometown. And uh, after a, about two weeks there, the, uh, the guys at, University of, at the University of Illinois, who actually were formerly, the, the vacancy that, that uh, Neil Stoner made he was the AD at Cal State Fullerton. When he came to Illinois to be the AD, that AD that vacancy was filled by Mike Mullally. So it's it was kind of a, a merry-go-round there, a little bit of leapfrog. And so uh, they'd had some friends that were still coaches at Fullerton and said, hey, there's this guy that was out here at Fullerton for a year. He wasn't all bad. Um, so they got a hold of me and and uh, and ended up, I started out as academic counselor for our uh, athletic programs. And then... Uh, did that for a few years and did uh, football team travel for a few years, a couple seasons, and then uh, moved into the ticket office in 89 and did that for 10 years. And then continued to do the quid pro quo benefits uh, for another eight years uh, in the development office and raising money for scholarships and that kind of thing. Most, most ticket people are uh, bean counters by trade. They're accounting background and I was not accounting background. I was more people background. So uh, we, we, we uh, stayed with that in the ticket office and then did development. And then, oh, in the very end, I was, uh, the, the last few years, I was uh, doing some uh, fundraising with uh, regional fundraising where I had the state of Arizona. I had uh, St. Louis, Northern California, and Chicago area for former athletes okay. of, uh, of, of the Fighting Illini. And then uh, my last year, I was the director of the Varsity Eye Association. So a little bit of a variety pack. Yeah, sounds like really a, a jack of all trades, which I, I think people in, in athletics a lot of times are, and then they they kind of find a niche there. And it, it sounds like, I know, when I kind of met you, you were kind of doing fundraising there. And you also would have crossed over paths with, with EIU's current athletic director, Tom Michael. You guys both would have been, and Tom would have been an athlete, of course, when, when, when you were working there, but then also then came on as an administrator. And so when we'll 
backtrack here a number of years ago when he was, you know, looking at the job here at Eastern Illinois, I'm sure you were a guy that he kind of picked your brain a little bit about some of the things that were going on here in Charleston. Well, if he was going to do that, it wouldn't have taken him very long, <laughs> but uh, you know, Tommy came in as a, as a skinny guy at uh, won a couple state championships and, and uh, I was academic counselor all through the time and when he had signed with Illinois. And then as he came in in the fall of uh, 89 and that summer is when I moved over to tickets. So I really got to know his mom and dad uh, as much or more than him as ticket manager doing all the uh, player comps and that kind of thing. So we had some commonality there. And then, you know, Tom went home and, and helped with the family business and then uh, decided to come back and, and uh, I think, as I recall, his, he uh, came in and put his head in the sand and worked his butt off and came up for air in about five years and, and all of a sudden started uh, moving up the ladder in a hurry because people knew his, his uh, reputation that he had built for uh, doing the right thing. And he had a phenomenal uh, amount of respect uh, from the campus side on the academic side for the work he had done under sometimes is not the easiest conditions when you're an academic counselor and overseeing those kind of things. Now, the other thing with you there, Illinois, having a, having a good basketball season this year by, you know, a little bit of a resurgence more they've been the last couple of years, but when you work there, you know, very successful runs on, under a couple of different head coaches, 24 postseason tournaments that you were a part of as an athletic administrator, including two final fours is, is there a team in that that group that kind of maybe stands out to you as a as somebody that worked kind of hand in hand in, in different capacities with them that you know when people talk Illini basketball that's the team that kind of comes to mind for you? Yeah, you know most people think of uh, the first. There's two teams that that really really stand out in people's minds: the '89 Flying Illini. I was academic counselor. And uh, that was a good workout every day, getting those guys uh, to be focused and, and uh, work on their progress towards their degrees. And, and then also, you know, they, they were, they were at a, performing at a, a heck of a high level. So that, that, that's a team that, uh, that no one really has forgotten about too much. And then the 05 team with, uh, you know, Dee and Darren and those guys was just a crazy run. Uh, you know, it was, uh, it was one block shot short of uh, going into the national finals game undefeated. And so that, that was just, you know, when that took place, you know, in 89, there, there wasn't the internet and there wasn't yeah. video cameras and all the things. And these guys became rock stars in 05. So it, it, was, it was just absolutely nuts uh, in 05. And so um, that, those are two of the teams that obviously stand out on the basketball side. And then also football had some success when you were there. I know a couple of Rose Bowls, a handful of bowl games. Is there kind of a, a team that stands out from you? I don't, I don't, it sounds like you were doing the academic stuff, probably a little bit more hands-on with, with football, but in a development to ticket capacity, you definitely would have worked with football yeah. as well. Yeah. You know, Mike White had magic in a bottle back in the eighties and people loved him because he was personable and he, 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 people made him, he made people feel like they had a relationship. So when it was easy to follow him when he had success for the fandom. And, and that was a little bit crazy too. And, and that still remains the 83 team that, uh, that won the big 10 is still the only team in the history of the big 10 in football who beat all of the other teams in the conference in that same season. So Illinois went nine and zero, 
in a 10 team conference. It's never been done before. And I don't know that it'll be done again because now the, the conference yep. numbers are growing in larger and larger, but that was a crazy season. And then, uh, uh, so, so that was, that was fun for the community and the, you know, central Illinois and the state of Illinois. And it, it was just a, a phenomenal fun time for, for folks tailgating just took off. And, uh, you know, when Illinois starts comparing, uh, what things used to be and where they're heading now, uh, in football, that's kind of the, one of the comparisons of, I think, I think there was, uh, I guess probably uh, three or four or five years of sellouts of 70,000 plus. So those are, those are days that I think, uh, you know, Josh and, and coach Bielema want to get back to at some point sooner than later. Now, the other thing I'll kind of throw on you there, cause I know you were, you were, you mentioned that you were working in tickets and you may not have crossed over this, the, the, the time period where the bears came down here and they used champagne Urbana as their home. I, I don't, how involved would you have been with that? And maybe what was that experience like compared to how you had to deal with, you know, the Illini fan base? Well, you know, those were sellouts. I wasn't in tickets at the time, but I was in fundraising. And so that was a, that meant that, that we worked on Saturdays and Sundays because a ton of our donors uh, ended up getting access to bears tickets. So, um, you know, we were doing quite a bit of, uh, of uh, relationship building, if you will, in the parking lots before the game, during the game and after the game. And that helped us a lot. That got, that got U of I a lot of really good exposure and Memorial stadium and the bears and, you know, the tie in there with Hallis and, and being an alum and that their orange and blue came from our orange and blue. And, you know, it's really started in Decatur with the Staley's for them. And so that, that was a, that again, that was a crazy season because, uh, you know, they had Monday night football against the Packers. Um, it, it was, it was a, it was just a packed house starting Friday night until noon on Monday because people would come in, they'd bring the RVs. It was wonderful for the university. They, they broke the seal on selling alcohol at the stadium, which now results in some, in some uh, better revenues for the school. So it was a, uh, it was a big deal for the, for our uh, event management folks. I was really not in the day-to-day. Um, fortunately, I wasn't in the day-to-day dealings with all that with parking and tickets and security and that kind of thing. I'd done my time in that, but it was a great time for us as fundraisers to advance our cause with so many people wanting to get access and, and get down on the field and, uh, and then, you know, get to the games and get to Champagne. Now, you mentioned this at the very start from Hoopston, so just a kind of a stone's throw away from Champaign where you ended up working, not very far also away from Eastern Illinois, a successful runner in high school, junior college, and then also in college inducted in, in all of those hall, athletic Hall of Fames. What got you, I guess, interested in running? I'm, I'm always curious as to what how people kind of fell into that sport. Sometimes it's because it, it was a sport they weren't any good at anything else, and that was the niche for them, but Sometimes it was to train for another sport and then they found out they were better than that, than the sport they were training for. Sure. Well, as I found out my, you know, I was on the football team, my freshman and sophomore year in high school, and there just wasn't a demand uh, for a 92 pound, uh, (laughs) you know, flanker or something. Uh, The only time I got any look at all is when they mistakenly would put in the program a one in front of that. So I would, they'd be looking for that 192 pounder. So I did that a couple of years and then I figured out that I wasn't very smart, but I figured out that that wasn't, that was too painful. 
Um, so I went out for cross country and, and it didn't work out too bad. Um, I ended up really wrestling. I went to college to wrestle. I went to Parkland to wrestle. And after uh, three weeks in the program, they three weeks of practice, they dropped the program. So I was ready to go home and just help my dad farm. And uh, the coach talked me into staying and, and getting my two-year degree and, and, uh, and uh, running indoor-outdoor track and cross-country. So I did that. And it didn't turn out too bad. So I decided to stay with it and, and go on. And, and Eastern became a, a phenomenal, great experience a really good fit. And it was the right thing for me at the time, both from an academic standpoint and an athletic standpoint. And for you, you, you come here and kind of fall right into some, join some very successful teams under, at the time, Coach Woodall was coaching the cross country team. Neil Moore was the overall directors of the program coaching track. And you walk in and you guys win the national championship right there at, at the start of your career. What was that experience like? Well, no one had any idea that we were going to win like we did. I, I was, you know, we had a team of 35 guys and I think the highest I ever was on that team was maybe 13th or 14th one time. I was 15th to 20th man on a team that ended up scoring 37 points, which was at the time the all time record for the lowest score ever at a national NCAA cross country meet. So I was fortunate that, uh, um, that, you know, Woodall never was so busy and more coach Moore were so busy that they never had time to track me down and tell me that they no longer needed my services. Cause uh, again, I was just a skinny guy that had a bad knee and, and, but hung out and kept, kept hanging out with them. And I was fortunate, you know, as I started, I was a late maturing guy too. You know, I, I, I matured it, uh, you know, like, like most, you're a, you're a better runner at 20, age 21 and 22 or a better athlete at 21 and 22 than you are at 17 and 18. And so uh, I had the two years at Parkland. I, I redshirted my first year at Eastern because I got hurt and uh, they were kind enough to let me continue to come and hang out. And it just kind of came together at the end. So, yeah, but, but it was, but it, I, I was a total afterthought on those really great cross country teams. Cause we had such great leadership up front with Joe Sheeran and John Christie and Casey ranking and John McInerney and DJ McHugh and Bill Bandy were both all Americans that year. Also, we had six all Americans in that uh, national championship meet. So, and you only score five. So we had a guy that was an all American that didn't even score in the meet. Yeah, that's what I heard of. Yeah. Yeah. Which was crazy. So uh, it's a, it's a different time now, I think. Plus, plus we were able to, you know, coach Woodall carried a team of 35 or 40 guys. And now that team is a team of eight or nine guys or maybe 10 or 12 at the most. So things are much different there too. Now, one of the things though, that they always did, and I know coach Woodall does this is he also knew that guys also always developed at diff different points of times and maybe, ended up having strengths in some areas that, that others didn't, but always wanted you to, to kind of train. It seems like when you look at your record as an athlete in college, your strength and maturity kind of came when you guys got to outdoor track and you became a specialist in the steeplechase. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but I, I guess for people that don't know the difference, how big of a difference is that trying to train and mentally prepare yourself for those events, they seem really drastically different. Well, you got to remember, I was a wrestler first, so I wasn't opposed to lifting a few weights, even though it maybe didn't show like I wish it would have. 
And uh, the, the, the steep, I, I, I mean, I tell Woody this and he thinks I'm kidding, but I hated every step. I didn't, I mean, who wants to go run 10 miles yeah. and who wants to go run 15 miles? I hated that, but I did it because of the, of, of the relationship I had with the coaches and, and my teammates. I mean, the teammate thing is, you know, you hear guys talk about when they retire from athletics, they miss the locker room and people that have never been there have no idea. Like what do they miss about the locker room? It's not about, the locker room. It's about the relationships you develop in the locker room. So I, I, I was, uh, you know, I, I was put in that steeplechase because I was too slow for the half mile and the mile. And I was too bored with the 5,000 and 10,000. And, uh, you know, Woody was usually mad at me most of the time. So he would always look for a way to punish me. So that's the perfect okay. race for a guy that you want to punish. Because if you have those track meets in, in Charleston and those places in, uh, in April, you usually have to chip some ice off of the, of the water jump. So what better way to punish a guy than to make him run in a freezing cold thing uh, and jump over barriers and water jumps. So that's kind of how it all started out. You throw Siebel Chase in the U.S. because they don't have it in high school is really the guys that can't do anything else. And then the ones that are smart enough to get in there Kind of like Rod Crew, hit them where they ain't. Yep. Why would you want to run the mile if you're an average miler when every good guy wants to run the mile? Yep. So the Siebel Chase is uh, plus it's the it's the it's the most fun event to watch anywhere anyway because yep. you're I'm, always kind of like going to any 500. You're going there to watch that steeple chase to look for the wrecks. No, very very true. I think the the water jump is. is I know we we run a thing here when we host the IHSA state track meets on. Friday night they do under the lights and it's the oh, yeah. event that everybody wants to do and it's got to the point sometimes now where it's not safe people are trying to dive into the pool it's oh, not yeah. really a pool it's a it's literally yeah. a little hole in the ground that you jump over sure but, yeah but that punishment there you know it worked out well evidently you may have thrived on that that challenge as a senior you led the the nation collegially with with the best time in the country just missed the NCAA record did you kind of use that I mean, what was the motivation there for you to kind of drive to be the best? Well, everybody, I think most people who attempt athletics in some way, shape or form dream about the best. I mean, if you're ever, if you're shooting baskets in your driveway, you're dreaming about being the best in a basketball game. If you're playing catch in a baseball field, you're dreaming about hitting the home run. So I, I guess I dreamed about that, but I, I, I was running out of time. I didn't know if it was going to be reality. So I ended up, uh, getting up uh, in Champaign at the, when the track used to be in Memorial stadium. And, and honestly uh, they had a meet called the Illini classic, which is United States track and field federation meet. And it's a phenomenal uh, event because during the day they it's teams from all over the Midwest are invited. And during the day, it's all of their guys who don't get to run as much. So there would be, there'd be, uh, you know, uh, eight heats of the hundred and, and, and five and six heats of everything. I think there was three heats in the morning of the steeplechase. So I came up in those old blue bombardier uh, station wagons that Eastern had and uh, got there bright and early with a carload of guys and, and get my number and get ready to run in the 9.30 a.m. race. And my name's not on the, the docket for that. And I, I uh, asked Coach Moore, 
And he said, uh, yeah, we registered you go, uh, go, go find the Illinois coach. He's the one that put it in there. And I kind of knew coach Winicky from when I was at Parkland. So I went to him and he said, yeah, you're in there. So I, I no coach, I'm not in. He goes, you know, you're, you're tonight at six o'clock. I'm like, <laughs> so the night session was the good guys. So okay. they would have all the Swantegos run throughout the day. And then at night it was just finals. So it would have eight guys in the hundred totally by invitation. Well, he mistakenly or purposely put me in the night session with 12 guys. Well, the, the steeplechase runs that, that morning were all better than my best. So I'm looking at getting last in a race and, uh, Coach Woodall, when he found out, he, you know, rolled his eyes and said, well, let's just, let's just try to run really for the first time in your life, run pace. Don't go out too fast. And uh, we'll try to run pace and we'll try to run uh, 912. My best was 926 or something. And he said 912 would qualify you for Division II nationals. Let's shoot for 912. We worked out the pace. And uh, I said, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. So I went out and uh, I ran the pace the first lap. And I was in last by about 15 yards. And he was yelling at me on the back stretch, too fast, too fast. So we get to the second lap, same thing. I'm, I'm now in last by about 20 yards and he's still yelling too fast, too fast. A couple more laps go by and, and uh, I'm not feeling too bad actually. And uh, for some reason, sometimes the pack comes back to you. I don't know how and why that happened to happen, but I happened to have one of those nights like everybody's had, when you're shooting baskets alone in your driveway and you just can't miss. Well, that's kind of what happened that night. And uh, for whatever reason, they just kept coming back to me and uh, Woody's still yelling at me, you know, with two laps to go. So you're too fast, slow down, slow down. And uh, I ended up not slowing down, but yet again, I didn't listen to him and uh, ended up winning the darn thing. And, uh, that was kind of crazy. I, I remember my teammates running up to me and uh, two or three of them said, uh, Coach Moore got you an 852, but don't worry. We're pretty sure that's wrong. <laughs> so I went from uh, like 926 to 852, which was just a crazy thing. And, and then it uh, just kind of all worked out. So that was, uh, that was uh, Rick Livesey, who was a four-time All-American in the steeplechase, had the record prior to me. So, and we had trained together the following year, and uh, he, he set the standard for us. So it was a privilege and honor to, to break his record. He probably didn't think that, but it truly was. And for you, talk about that record. You held that for, for 26 seasons, and some of the, those accolades, holding records, being on a national championship team, being an All-American, those get you inducted into the, the Eastern Illinois Hall of Fame. What was that moment like to, to be inducted? I know it's been a, a number of years since you were selected, Mike, but just kind of you'll take us back to, I guess, maybe I, we did these earlier this year with this year's Hall of Fame class. And so it was fresh in their memory what it was like to get that call. But I'm always curious if either all to all Hall of Famers, I'm sure, maybe remember when they maybe get that call or at least remember the ceremony. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and at the time, it was just the most important thing ever in my mind and uh, time has passed, but it, it, it provided me a chance to tell a lot of people thanks because I didn't do it on my own. I can tell you that. And it also provided yet another excuse 
for my former teammates and I to get together and gather, as we call it. And so we had a party. We rented the Elks Club, I think, in Charleston and, and blew that out and, and uh, the Holiday Inn and blew that out. So I think everybody got their money's worth. But it, it was great because um, I, I'd walk through that little uh, back, back when I was at Eastern in the 70s. They they weren't pursuing the Hall of Fame on an annual basis. And I remember walking in the little uh, reception area that had a picture of John Kraft and, and uh, Coach O'Brien and a few others over the years and, and just never could figure out how cool that was and what, what it would it ever have meant. I mean, it wasn't even a dream for me. I mean, I was a kid that came there, got hurt, had knee surgery, sat out a year. So, but it was pretty cool because I knew about it. And then uh, as it turned out, I got to, uh, I got to experience that. So yeah, it was wonderful. Eastern did a, and I know still does a, a, a marvelous job of making guys feel and gals feel really good when they come back and their families and their friends and teammates. And, and uh, you know, that makes a difference when, when former athletes uh, can, can come back and feel good because that results in good feelings, which when you're in the business that, that hopefully results in people making donations and, and helping today's athletes. So yeah, it was fun. Now you led me into our kind of final topic we're going to talk about. And this is something when, when you and I talked uh, yesterday, this is, was kind of a new thing to me, but I know it's something you're really proud of. And two, two subjects you just kind of hit on in your, your last statement there, getting the group of guys that, that close knit cross country family at Eastern Illinois kind of back together. And then also that feel good feeling to make them want to give you kind of, you and a couple of other former track and, and cross country alums created what they call the hop fund, the HOP. And I don't know exactly if those letters have a specific uh, purpose to them or, or not. I'll, I'll let you kind of explain that, but it, but it's a fund where you guys have all put together some money, some services, your, your time to help other former alums of those programs when they may be on hard times. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe during, during COVID, you guys may have been called to the task more often than not. Well, yeah, we, in about 2016 or 2017, we had a teammate that, that we found out was experiencing some real life, difficult life challenges. And then we also then figured out awfully soon after that, that he wasn't the only one. And so, you know, we're all in our sixties now. So we're getting guys with, with heart attacks and strokes and, and broken bones and hip replacements and, and, you know, and, and again, real life issues. And sometimes it's, it's, it, it comes upon us and we don't know why. And sometimes, sometimes it's because we made a bad decision or, or seven bad decisions in a row, but do uh, we we stepped up and, and helped this particular teammate uh, as best we could to keep, to take the financial burden off of his list of things to do to get back on his feet. And then uh, next thing we know, we had a guy get a stroke. And next thing we know, we had a guy do a widowmaker who lived through it. So we decided to put together a fund and, and HOP stands for helping old Panthers. So we started the hot, hot fund. Uh, we've raised over $30,000 in the last three and a half or four years. Uh, we've, we've doled out about a little over $8,000 uh, to guys over the last four years. And uh, we've, we've just finished all of the uh, red tape uh, that 
but up until now, it's just a checking account. We have a couple of guys sign off on it. And we've, we've now applied for just this past couple of weeks uh, to make it an official 501c3, which will provide an opportunity for folks who choose to, uh, to have it deductible to the fullest extent of the law. So uh, we've got a board with that comes responsibility. So we've got a board of five with two uh, additionals. And uh, our, our goal is to short term is to continue to help guys who, who are in trouble. And most of the time it's money, but some other times it's show up and move a guy out of his apartment to a better apartment or show up and clean somebody's uh, their, their house and, their yard or whatever it may be that, that makes them feel um, physically and mentally better about their situation. And then uh, our goal will be then to sustain this over time. And then as uh, us old guys go by the wayside, uh, we continue to have, uh, you know, we add one younger generation guy to that board so that they can then carry that on and help future helping old and, and be involved in helping old panthers panthers of the future so that's the game plan it's pretty satisfying for us it's it's just brought a smile to a lot of guys faces and uh so that's what we chose to do i'm i'm uh, it, it's a little bit out there because i don't know any other uh i actually don't even know any other schools in the country that have that kind of a of a uh, of a, a program outside of an illegal one that they're doing to help alums. So no, this is probably the only legal one out there that you'll find. So yeah, we're pretty proud of it. No, that's, that's a very unique and, and great story and great cause that you guys have put together. And, and you talked about how closely knit that group is that you kind of ran with, you know, you mentioned 35 guys roughly on the team when you were there. And I think that the common denominator, you know, is easy to say is, a guy like Coach Moore, a guy like Coach Woodall, but but there's more to it, more to it than that. You guys, Coach Woodall has been retired for a number of years, and there's something special about the the people that are in, you know, for lack of a better term, that fraternity of former, you know, cross country and and track runners here at Eastern. And have you guys? How do you guys reach out and kind of make sure that those those newer athletes that are getting ready to graduate and become alums that they continue down that tradition? Sure. Well, the, the, the main reason we're together outside of the obvious that we hung out together in college is that Coach Woodall has made the effort over the years to do a monthly uh, EIU stuff. He calls it newsletter. Yep, I get and that one. <laughs> he, he, yeah, he works so hard at putting that together and he's got former runners and he's got former students in the human performance lab and he's got former trainers and former coaches and former administrators and then present day folks. So he, he sends that thing out and it's probably a thousand people once a month. So that helps. And then uh, a few years ago, um, actually when I retired from athletics, my Saturdays became available and we started putting together again, all I ever do is look for excuses for all of us old guys to get together on a social basis around something. So we started having a tailgate over at the state cross country meets because uh, in November, because coach Woodall's influence on so many of those guys is such that a ton of them, uh, I mean, a ton of them coached high school in the state of Illinois and the ton of them are, are still coaching. So that's a natural 
when, when coaches bring their guys to the state meet or they come to the state meet to watch. And then those of us that didn't coach or that retired, we meet on Friday over there. We get, uh, you know, we have a dinner with 25 or 30 guys. We have a tailgate for maybe 50 or more. And then what's also grown out of it uh, after my time at Illinois, the Illinois guys that we ran against in college are, were my friends and still are, and they've now joined our tailgate. Uh, the North central guys uh, join our tailgate, the Illinois state alums join our tailgate. So our tailgates growing uh, in, in kind of an Illinois intercollegiate uh, tailgate. So all the guys who ran college back kind of started in the seventies. Uh, we see, probably a hundred guys come through there on uh, inner November. So uh, mine, mine is really always looking for an excuse to get together for a reason to hide behind. So yeah, works pretty good. Well, good. That, those are great stories. And Mike, I do appreciate your time together um, today. I appreciate you being a guest on here. Some, some great stories, some great memories for people. And hopefully as the, the COVID stuff dies down here and people get vaccinated, uh, you guys will be able to, to relive that tradition again at, coming to some Eastern games, some Illinois games, and the, the Illinois State Cross-Country Championship. Well, I appreciate that, Rich. It was nice to see your, the Panthers uh, get a win last night. And uh, hopefully they're, uh, you've got enough long underwear ordered for the football season here in a couple weeks. And uh, I think people will be uh, – that's such a unique uh, opportunity, should I call that, to play yep. on Saturdays and Sundays in February and March that uh, – Hopefully that'll uh, work out well for the, for the, uh, for the today's Panthers. We hope so too. So thank you, Mike. It was good talking to you. You bet. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. Go Panthers.